why is it that we can show your kid a story where there's a mommy and a daddy like holding hands, uh, but we can't show a daddy and a daddy and a mommy and a mommy or, you know, like whatever the deal may be. Right. And we only have an issue with intimacy when it is not from a heterosexual perspective. Hello and welcome back to The Open Up. I am Elliot Knight. It is fantastic that you are here with us for another conversation. So happy to have you. This episode is a conversation with a best-selling author who was number one on the New York Times bestsellers list last year, and he held that spot for 12 months straight, or as he would say, queer. Back in 2017, I read and fell in love with a book that a lot of you might probably know called They Both Die at the End. Great title. And after I finished reading it, I was in tears. And I shared the book on Instagram, tagged the author, who replied. And long story short, we have been friends ever since. He's been one of my closest friends ever since then. Here's his ID. I identify as a New Yorker who lives in Los Angeles. I am a queer Puerto Rican um, slash half white, like Spanish white. Um, I'm vegan. I am a writer. I'm an artist. And I'm tall. You are tall. <laughs> Adam Silvera is a powerhouse in the world of young adult fiction and romance. And he's the first ever author to bring queer boys of color to the number one spot in the country. Adam is an extremely talented and gifted writer whose focus is on uplifting queer characters and their stories for an audience of all ages and all identities all over the world that love them so much. He has torn hearts out and ripped them into pieces all over the world. And still, he has one of the biggest hearts in the world behind all of them. Aside from being a highly accomplished author from anonymous fan fiction to the NYT bestsellers list, Adam also has a background in publishing. And so he's tooled with an experience, this huge experience that just carries its weight in gold. In our conversation, and very true to himself, Adam is piercingly honest about his observations and his experiences as a self-described queer, white-passing writer of color. And honestly, his insights are invaluable, whether it's the importance of access to diverse storytelling for schools and young kids, or the different value structures for queer and straight stories at a publishing level, sometimes even different pay structures. There is nowhere that Adam is afraid to go in this conversation. You'll get to listen in on. He really does open up everything for us. Adam and I have a shorthand that you'll probably pick up on quite quickly. And so the conversation is very comfortable and very free because of it. The result is a lot of fun and also a lot of truth and a truly penetrating perspective into the world of publishing and its effect on diverse audiences, authors, and the stories that they want to tell. 
One thing to note, Ad is from the Bronx, and we love it. And so is his language, which we also love. So just prepare yourself for quite a few F-bombs pretty consistently throughout the entire episode. We know we could maybe take them out, bleep them out, but half the episode will be bleeps, and we just want people to feel free and express themselves as they do. And I promise you, Adam expresses himself as he always does. So you definitely get an inside scoop on that. It's also worth mentioning that there is another F term that Ad does use at some point as a self-descriptor when he's referencing sexual identity. Now, I understand some people might find it offensive, but it is a term that is common to be used uncontroversially within queer spaces. And as Ad and I are both that, it stayed in the episode. It's relevant to the discussion, and uh, I think it's important to not edit that out. So, this is your heads up, but all is good. All right, there's so much to get into on this episode. It's packed with information. And again, I'm so grateful to Adam for sharing all of this wisdom that he has and all of his insights. It's, I think you're going to be pretty blown away. Let me say no more. Let's dive in and open up the publishing industry with the brilliant Adam Silvera. What's interesting about when I ask you how you identify, you include a writer, not even, not as an occupation, right. but as uh, an integral part of who you are, yeah. which I love. Do you identify a certain way as an author? Like, do you, do you identify as a gay author or a Puerto Rican author or an American? Do you have any I mean, extra? I s- no, I, I say I'm an author. Um, and when I get asked what I write about, I say that I write young adult novels, um, uh, that are with specifically with like queer protagonists mm. because that is true across all of my books. I don't know. I, I, I mean, but I just say that I'm a writer of like queer young adult novels, but I normally just say I'm an author first or I, I actually prefer writer. I just say I'm a writer. Right. Um, and then it like kind of like breaks down from there. You specify what you want to. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you, especially for a lot of people who would be listening to this and like me, when I met you have no idea how any of this works just in terms of you and your angle, why do you write queer books? Not queer because they you are a gay writer, right? Um, but the subject matter and the characters in them, why is that what you do? Why do you choose to do that? And why have you chosen to do that in, I mean, all of your right. stories, okay. all of your books you've written? Yeah, I mean, it's the only way that I am going to feel as close to my characters as like possible. And if I also like straight people, like some of you are really lovely, but like it, that would be so boring for me to write. <laughs> like, like I literally tried um, earlier this year. I was like, okay, I'm going to be writing like a main straight boy. I was so bored. Like I could not get connected to him at a deep level. Mm. And also no one needs me writing another straight story. Like they're sad. Like there are so many straight writers who are just out there right now and they're publishing incredible fiction and you, you don't need me, a queer author, an openly queer author um, who has found success writing queer stories, backpedaling right now and writing one for the straights. Like fuck that. Like I, I literally, I had an opportunity to write like a superhero story for a really well-known um, superhero franchise like a few years ago and they told me that I could do it my way. And then, and that meant making a character bisexual for me. Like a, amazing. Like a popular, well known character that 
if I said his name, everyone know who he was. Right. Um, and when I pitched him as bisexual, they took an issue with that as if like the straightness was integral to who this character was, which it was not like. And meanwhile, they were letting other authors like just change everything else about um, certain characters, like like gender bending, all these things. Right. But like I couldn't even hint at this character being bisexual and I just backed out. I was like, I don't need this. Like, you're not going to like use my name to push something under the guise that you presented to me of we're going to let you have some creative freedom here and some liberties when they ultimately did not. So people came to you knowing who you are, mm-hmm. Adam Silvera, as an author and what you write yeah. and what you represent, asked you to take on this character in this story Asked me if I had an idea for a character I'd want to explore. And then I told them the character and they approved. And then they were like, cool, give us your pitch. Um, okay. And then I gave them the pitch, which was really And the sexuality awesome. of the character was only a part of the pitch. That was the first, yeah, that was the right. first time that lay. Uh, and they were just not about it. You, specifically. A writer fully known yeah. for writing queer stuff. And then just be turned off by the idea of even the hint of something leaning away from heterosexual. And like maybe they wanted me to make someone Puerto Rican so that they can get their like little diversity points or something in a way that doesn't feel, um, you know, disingenuous to that character's straightness. Uh, <laughs> it was so stupid. Like I really was like, wow, not only are you guys losing out like on a really dynamic like plot idea, like everyone I've spoken to about this idea, they were like instant bestseller. Mm. And I agreed. Yeah. Um, and then they were just like so weird about it. I was like, all right, cool. Like, and I have turned my back on it and I don't like, I didn't need that. I mean, that, that theme of wanting to at an extreme, I guess, virtue signal and just, you know, show that we're diverse for diversity sake. So yeah. it looks good on the surface, but not really being that excited or passionate about it. I know that's an issue I come up uh, with my industry and so many people do too. Yeah. So that's not different in publishing necessarily. No. And we publishing has just sort of started to see a turn since 2014, 2015, where there was finally a call for like more diverse novels. Uh, there is like, there was like a really incredible campaign that's now turned to like a nonprofit called we need diverse books that started in I believe June 2014 okay. and and it's really fantastic. I have a lot of friends who like work on the board there and they, you know, the initiative was just to support more marginalized authors and get their stories out there and making sure that, you know, publishing kind of had two roots for their novels for the longest. Like the first was school library units and everything. Like uh, we think this will do well in some, uh, you know, regional spaces and everything. So they were never trying to turn stories about black girls or gay boys into bestsellers. They were like, oh no, we, this is probably going to get a lot of like really critically great starred reviews and might win an award that probably won't ultimately sell a lot of copies, but we're not going to make it a bestseller necessarily because they didn't believe that white people would pick up a story about a black girl or about, or a straight kid would pick up a story about a gay boy. And, and look, there are some barriers there, right? Like there are some states in this country that like do not stock my book. 
I have currently literally the best-selling young adult book of this year. And there are still going to be some states that are just not going to stock it. So they're missing out on money, but they're just like, you know, they're more conservative-leaning states. Because they're queer characters. Because they're queer characters. And they're like not trying to push that and like have those books available to queer youth, queer adults. And the thing is, I can understand there being boundaries. People have different experiences, thoughts, all of that stuff. But how do those boundaries and walls ever get broken down or climbed over if you don't provide the tools with which to do that, like in the form of the book yeah. that you're writing or could write. No, I mean, allowed. I think about my friend Angie Thomas, who wrote the book, The Hate You Give, which was turned into a movie a few years back. And any other publisher probably would have just like made that a kind of like an awards book, you know, like let's win an award for this book. Meanwhile, that book has like spent more than like three, four years on the bestseller list. Yeah, crazy. Um, most of it like at the very top you know and it's like that book is a phenomenal success and if it weren't for the publisher deciding to make it a commercial success and really putting it on that track who knows what would have happened you know and like angie is a black woman who wrote an incredible story about a black girl um you know dealing with like black lives matter and it's like the amount of people that book reached and needed to reach like we needed white people to read that book you know and i've seen a lot of white librarians booksellers teens like come up to angie or speak about that book over the years about how it was eye-opening for them right like and with all the fucking horrific racist shit shows we've seen over the years and everything like it is our responsibility especially in young adult publishing to make sure that we are creating resources for kids to wake up you know because if they're being raised in you know really like racist like households and everything how else are they supposed to get access to this information like i remember in november 2016 where I felt so powerless and like what I did, like I, my call to action was asking for teens in conservative states to email me the title of a book about a marginalized identity they weren't familiar with. And I sent them that book. Like I was, I had to like require backup because it got like out of hand, but it was just like, how else are you going to get exposed to these stories if you're in a very like dominantly white school with mm dominantly white librarians and teachers who are not interested in bringing in stories about like Pakistani teens or black teens, queer teens, like where else are you going to get this? Yeah. (laughs) And the idea that if it's available is tantamount to forcing, especially children to read things. It's not what it is at all. It's just, it's an available tool. A hundred percent. That is your choice to engage with or not. I tell people all the time, I was like, my books are not, mandatory reading at your high school right like no one is forcing your kid i wouldn't be mad about that i mean i wouldn't be mad about it either your books are incredible royalties (laughs) but (laughs) no but but truly i'm like we get so um outraged by so many books and we call for like banned books or whatever i'm just like oh my god get a fucking life like you guys really have nothing else going on that you're trying to shit on what teens are reading that are only going to make them better humans but some people actually do want to improve and move forward in their lives and don't want to keep living in the early 1900s. Mm. So 
it sucks. But I mean, this is why me writing queer characters or whatever, I'm like, look, I can only write so many books, but I know that with each book that I publish, I'm reaching out to somebody that maybe hadn't been exposed to like a queer story before. You have the biggest, most beautiful, and maybe even most fragile heart ever, <laughs> which is one of my favorite things about you and why you're such an incredible person and why you have so much pours out of you so easily because you're open to that. There's no agenda. There's no negative agenda. You're not trying to do anything bad. You're just trying to share a truth that often doesn't get shared. Like when you were growing up and when you were, I'm assuming, interested in reading in books. Um, ooh, controversial honestly no and i tell people a lot like i was more a writer before i was a reader mm. i feel like if i i was a big fan of story and I, but i got stories through different means whether it was like comic books or video games and which i don't think we give enough credit to the power of like narratives and video games and teaching you about tension and character development and character attachment and cheers to that uh yeah i mean so, I mean, I was actually, I, I don't think I really became like a reader until I was like 18 or 19. Uh, okay. So I was writing that entire time and not, I was reading Harry Potter. Like that was probably, you know, the only series that I was devoted to at right. that time. Everything else, I was reading like fan fiction and publishing fan fiction myself. And uh, yeah. yeah. When you did start reading things then, when you're like 18, 19 yeah. later on. Was there anything that you experienced as a reader that made you want to write the stories that you ended up writing? Yeah, absolutely, because it's so funny. I, When I was working on my first novel that I had hoped to like, publish uh, when I was like 20, I was like, oh, I'm going to be like a total like teen, young savant and everything. Ooh. And uh, I was like, I'm going to be the next like, you know, Harry Potter series or whatever. And I like outlined all four books of this series. And then when it came time to like write them, I was like so bored and it wasn't happening. But you know, I was also bored, like looking back, I was writing about a straight boy because I didn't think that I was allowed to write a queer character for publication. I thought that was like only for like fan fiction spaces, you know, and kind of like taboo writing that you don't get paid for, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Do you know what? Not to interrupt you, but that actually, I remember being in school, like as a teenager searching to find stories that would talk about just queer gay attraction exploration yeah. identity something uh and it was pretty much that all i could find and get access to would be like um it would it just felt very pornographic yeah and not really much that you could find um and i was happy to find that don't get me wrong right. but it wasn't the thing that I was necessarily looking for, I just wanted something that seemed so accessible to everybody else, wherever you look and turn without looking for it. Right. There it is in your face. It's like straight love, straight romance, yeah. straight experience. And I also didn't even want like, I have like mixed feelings for gay fiction sections in bookstores too. Me too. Because, Let's discuss. Yeah. I mean, I remember being 19 and wanting to even check out you know a book like in that section but i'm like wasn't out yet so any gravitation uh, i show toward that section yeah as someone who has already felt like i was like teetering on the edge of people figuring it out anyway mm. 
Which like, can be terrifying. Yeah. Because of the world we have grown up in. 100%. I grew up in the South Bronx. So, like, uh, in, in New York. But I, you know, so, I mean, I didn't want to give anyone that confirmation. Mm. And so that was, like, really nerve-wracking for me. Versus if it had just, these books had just been shelved in general fiction I could have looked at them more discreetly and figured out my move from there. Like, okay, is this packaging kind of like straight passing enough that I can kind of buy it? Um, or are there like two boys kissing on the cover, which I remember, I mean, there's literally a book called two boys kissing by David Levithan, which is phenomenal. And even as an adult, when I was reading it, I removed the jacket um, from it. What, Cause I was in New York reading on the subway right. and I just felt I felt like it was even hiding like the title on the spine. So it was like holding the book like pretty horizontally so you couldn't tell. Oh, and and yeah, and these are the things that like we have to think about when, you know, we're publishing queer stories, when we're reading queer stories, when we're just being queer in the world. So when we talk about this kind of stuff and people are just like, oh, like no one, no one cares that you're gay. I'm like, A, that's not fucking true. Mm. Um, and B, like this just goes to show like how privileged you are that like you don't, I'm sure what I just said for any like heterosexual listeners, they're like, I've never thought about that before. Yeah. I guarantee it. I would bet so much fucking money that they've never stopped and had to like make those considerations. Mm. And for something as passive as reading a fucking book, you know, it's that is crazy. It's crazy. It's so upsetting. It's that you have so to, upsetting. Cause then I'm sure that you can't just, it's not about what you necessarily just want to do the most or what serves the story the most or what is the best cover you could have. Just talking about covers. Yeah. I know we talk about covers a lot, Yeah, but you make such a good point about how accessible and how uh, comfortably accessible these materials are, which, you know, I, I know we understand from our perspectives Fiction or not, these are potentially life-saving materials in some cases. 100%. People who, when you're an identity and you have an experience of just being so hated and or oppressed by certain sectors of the world, kinds of people, perspectives, whatever, there is an element at some point to some degree of needing to live in the shadows and in stealth and hide things and... Everything becomes like a, or a lot of things can become like a private secret search that no yeah. one can know about. And when it's hard for you to be able to interact with people in the world socially uh, as your authentic self or feel safe or comfortable, a lot of the time, the only things that people do have to really keep them going and keep them happy, healthy, attached to themselves, attached to a happiness or anything like that are like, stories yeah. things that they can create and to think that that could be so loaded with so many political or business decisions that other people make for you the fact is that you really can't even just comfortably stand there sit there and read a book without wondering is the title of this book showing is anyone looking at this cover uh you can't just be fully immersed in this world that you have devoted your time to because you're kind of just observing your surroundings and being mindful of that fucking sucks and it's, you know, it is, look, it's not the worst thing that I have, like, faced in my life from, like, being a queer person. But it is those collections of, like, small experiences that do build up and overwhelm you, you know? It's, like, it's a small weight that gets tacked on. But, like, that is one of a thousand examples that, like, queer people can just, like, find. And and I'm lucky. Like, I'm a white-passing queer <laughs> 
you know, I'm also to a lot of people pretty straight passing, but maybe I wouldn't be so straight passing if I felt more comfortable to explore my identity and my aesthetics. Like, I it's just in this past week where I was kind of like, I feel kind of tempted to like color my nails, which is like not an urge that I've had. And I think right. would, would surprise past me in the same way that kind of surprised even like present me when I had the thought, but I was just like, that could be cute. And that has only come from like total confidence in myself, even though like I was called a faggot, like, you know, maybe three months ago. And also like, I don't know if this guy even clocked that I was gay or if he was just trying to insult me because like, that's a insult that straight people love lobbing at other straight people because that's like the worst thing in the world you could fucking be. But yeah. And even like the idea of getting my ear pierced, like I remember the, if you ever want to get your ear pierced like years ago, it has to be on a certain ear. It has to be the left ear. Yeah. It can't be the right ear. Or that you're was, gay. That was exactly. And I'm like... I was the same. And so when I, I got mine, both my ears are pierced, but they were done separately. And when I got just the first one done, it was my left for that reason. And I was also pretty comfortable in myself too. And I was... I, was, I understood my sexuality at that point in life. And still, it wasn't about my authenticity was about people's perceptions of and treatment of me yeah that i didn't want to have to deal with if i do go get my ear pierced i'm not even going to bother if i haven't you know like absorbed this memory of like oh it has to be this ear this ear like i'm just gonna be like uh honestly i would probably do my right ear because that feels belly button the most natural to me i mean i wouldn't mind like maybe i wouldn't mind a belly button piercing like maybe by the time that wouldn't you you Being a product of the South Bronx, you know, I didn't grow up in Manhattan where it was like a lot easier to stumble across like two men holding hands. You know, like I grew up in the South Bronx where the first time I saw two men holding hands, I was like in my, you know, mid or deep 20s or something. And it was shocking to me. Like you'd have thought I just saw a fucking dragon, you know, like really genuinely like just seeing two guys holding hands. And I'm like, and they were fucking big guys, too. Like they weren't like you know, just like tiny queers. Like, I'm like, like if you said something to them, they would have beat your ass, you know? Mm. So like, but I'm like, that's probably what it took for these two men to feel confident, you know, with holding hands and just expressing their fucking love and affection for each other. I remember when I brought my first boyfriend to the Bronx to meet like my mom and some of my family or whatever. Um, on the train ride from we're like exam Manhattan. We're like really cool and cuddly together on the train. But as we start moving into the Bronx, we're maintaining some distance and we're not holding hands the entire time we're in the Bronx either, because it just felt like, Oh no, like why wave that rainbow flag and put that attention on yourself and, and get fucking jumped for it. Like, and isn't that something very similar that you wrote in 20 books? Was it history? And more happy than not, there's a, my first novel, there's a scene where the guys get jumped because they're literally seen bumping knees together on That's the train. It. Yeah. Yeah. And then in What If It's Us, there's some guy who like calls out the two boys because um, he's with his kid and he's like, doesn't want to see these two boys cuddling on the train. And this is yeah. my thought. It's again, to underline why stories and storytelling yeah. are always and have always been so important especially for, well, for both sides, for people who do relate to those characters and those experiences and for people who don't. If you are not able to gain a perspective or an experience or talk to someone in real life who has a different experience than you to learn, 
stories that are authentically informed, appropriately and authentically informed, can be such a fantastic tool, a non-threatening tool, yeah. if people feel threatened for whatever reason, to be able to gain a perspective that's not yours and have a bit more compassion and understanding for the struggles that people go through. Yeah. Even if it's like two queer boys on a train who love each other and are afraid to do something as simple as sit too close to each other because they might get stabbed. When you're a queer writer, you get kind of grouped into one of two groups, the happy queers or the sad queers. Um, and people feel like they, we are past the need for sad queers. Also, I am the sad queer writer. Like I write about shit that I've experienced, shit that feels really fucking real to me uh, and things that are still fucking happening today. Like you'll, you'll hear people saying we're past the need of like coming out stories. I'm like, that is one of the most ignorant fucking things you can say mm. because there are so many teenagers and adults yeah. and children because children also do realize them their identities at a young age as much as we want to pretend that queerness starts at 13 or something but like yeah, i that's not yeah i knew that i was attracted to boys when i was like i don't know 8 or 9 um, I was like four, five. Yeah. Yeah. I had and my first kiss with a boy under a table in school when I was like four years old. Yeah. Oh, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, just outed Carl. Yeah. Well, so, good luck. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, Carl. What a name. No, but truly it, it is. I mean, I, I've often said that we need to start talking about queerness at a board book level for, for kids. Like, What's board book board, level? Board books are... You know, like the Good Night Moon kind of books. Uh, you know, they're those Good Night Moon, isn't that? That's like a children's like oh, novel. I think uh, that not novel, children's book, like oh. like those little stories that are like they're kind of like a cardboard novels. So they're like board books. Good Night Moon to me is like an ASMR person on YouTube. Oh, that's that I may so or funny. may not have fallen asleep to <laughs> more than once. multiple times. <laughs> no, so like. The little engine that could, you know, like uh, any like classic corduroy, uh, these classic stories, they're normally, um, they have like board books available for them that you can, any like baby shower you're going to, you're Got probably it. like buying a board book for right. a kid or something. So you are saying I'm that- saying that we need to be talking about queerness at that level or showing families because one of our issues is that we're waiting too long to introduce these things. So this is why everything seems so fucking foreign to people. Right. And it's like, oh, like I don't understand queerness. I'm like, oh yeah, because no one started talking to you about it until you were fucking 17 or 18. Or you have parents who are kind of just like low-key like homophobic um, or racist or whatever the thing may be where they're like, I just don't think that my child needs to be learning about this right now. And it's like, why not? Why is it that we can show your kid a story where there's a mommy and a daddy like holding hands, uh, but we can't show a daddy and a daddy and a mommy and a mommy or, you know, like whatever the deal may be, right? And we only have an issue with intimacy when it is not from a heterosexual perspective. Right. And, but the moment we're even just showing, I'm not saying let's put two men fucking over the counter in a board oh, book, in yeah. a picture book, right? right? I'm saying let's show two men holding hands. Right. And yet you would still group that as if it's like two men just like waving their fucking dicks in the street when it is like not the same thing. Right. And it's so just upsetting and just ignorant. And I'm just like, I'm exhausted by it. Like I have, I've talked about this like so much. I also clearly, if it's not 
clear to anybody. Um, like I don't give a fuck about what I say, where I say it. I well, you speak your truth, and yeah, pretty much unfiltered, which is again one of my favorite and most valuable things about you yeah. as a person. And in this space that you operate on such a high functioning level and you have so many eyes on you increasingly more the last yeah. like, few years, which is amazing. You've experienced so much stuff that even just you've shared with me and I've learned about you that I know most people would have no idea about. Right. And you've had to struggle with so much stuff in your industry just to get to a bar where other people are, like welcomed in on an entry level. Yeah. Like, I mean, I currently do not have any live adaptations of any of my books like i don't have any movie shows um, movie shows movie, that's maybe movie shows <laughs> um i don't have any like movies or tv shows um based on my books that currently exist in the world and i'm like working on tons of them and have had to get more involved to do so as well like i'm currently working on three different adaptations for three different books of mine and i had to get this close for them to even reach the stages that they're at now because no one else is working this hard to like try to get like queer stories made mm. and the stories that are getting made um are still so like there's just so few of them um and a lot of them take like white perspectives i was just gonna say like glad that of course they exist but it's whenever something tends to be a gay story or a queer story it pretty much is a white gay or queer story and that i don't think enough people understand that those experiences are so different. You don't just slap gay on something, then it all becomes the same thing. It's no. not at all. It's so different. No, and potentially. I know I know tons of white queer people too have had traumatizing experiences. Absolutely, and, and I want stories to exist for them as well. Like I'm not saying let's not make any content for white people. Like I'm never, I'm Agreed. never yeah, saying no. that. Uh, but also, I'm sure that you yourself as a mixed race guy, like you're not just happy because Moonlight exists, no matter how fucking beautiful a movie Moonlight is. Yeah, I love that movie. But it's, you know, to tell one story from a different non-white perspective doesn't cover everything. Yeah. But, but then it's okay to keep making the same kind of gay movies from the same identity perspective. Right. Constantly over and over it's again. It's actually insane that Moonlight can win a fucking Oscar and we still haven't followed up with like a dozen black queer stories yeah an oscar <laughs> i know and like, you know my feelings about the that most too. prestigious award you can win for a film yeah and and yet like no one's like let's make 12 more moonlights but let's no it's like let's do fucking nine more fast and furious and it's like <laughs> uh, but but like but honestly even in movies like that if it's not maybe as critically acclaimed but it's popular i think those are such valuable 100%. I, I mean i won't talk about movies too much because i want to focus on you and your stuff but Spaces where there are eyes on things are the most valuable spaces for education yeah. or whatever word you want to choose that doesn't bore the pants off of you. Uh, getting to learn things, new experiences. If we weren't being so political and particular and whatever people's idea of business minded is about telling queer stories and queer stories of people of color and characters of color, yeah. maybe it would be more permeable to a general, say, greater America audience, if we weren't just making Call Me By Your Name, a little kind of art house film that most people aren't going to go and see, might right. win an award, but how is that affecting a social consciousness? Similar to what you were saying before about how publishers might at times focus more on, is it going to be a bestseller? Is it going to sell millions of copies over... Is it a good story? Is it right. valuable? Is it worth telling? Is it potentially going to save lives? Does it fill a gap that exists? 
I don't understand how all of those things combined could still not outweigh whether it sells the most or not. Well, because we're in America and we care about money and things are a business. And look, publishing is a business. Absolutely. And the ent- all, all industries of entertainment are businesses. Yeah. Concede and, that, of course. And it sucks, but this is the kind of shit, right, where it's like, um, well, we're going to be really careful about which superhero we make gay because we need this movie to do well in this completely different country and it's and i love like the wide reach of things right but also it sucks and these are like the things the considerations that like i feel like we have to make as like queer creators as well where it's like do i want to write for my community or do i want to write for the world right and i'm like i'm I'm going to write about my community for the world. And like, I need everyone else to fucking get on board with it. Like, I am not going to just say like, oh yeah, my, I'm going to create like little like in cute indie films, you know, because like that's the, you know, those are the only amount of people who will be able to see it. Right. Like this is never gonna be mainstream. I'm like, no motherfuckers, like make it mainstream. Like I, I, I just don't understand the mentality about like not trying to, reach a significant population of the world (laughs) like it's not just like ten thousand queer people in the fucking world right right it's a fucking significant percentage Mm -hmm. of out queer people (laughs) yes and increasingly even more so with new and younger generations with how people identify and feel free identifying and with the more inclusive like labeling hate the word but you know sure the, yeah the spaces are more open than they've ever been for people to freely identify something other than yeah. heterosexual like think about even and i'll bring it back to movies too because it's, it's just relevant but how black panther felt like such a gamble or how crazy rich asians felt like such a gamble exactly and it's like so both those movies opening weekend because like again i understand what we're trying to accomplish here because we're not going to get more black panthers if it bombs. We're not going to get Crazy Rich Asians if it bombs. Yeah. We're not going to get more Love, Simon if it bombs. Like, we have to, like, see these things and show up at an appropriate time. We can't just find them later when they pop up on a fucking streamer, yeah. you know? Like, and it, and it sucks, but, like, this is our responsibility for people who have the means and the intent to be allies to communities, like, outside their own. I'm like, I'm not black. I'm not Asian. I still was in the fucking opening day seats for both those movies. Right. And, but I mean, this is our responsibility. And like, these are the small, but like meaningful ways that we show up for other communities yeah. and, and say that we want more stories like this. It's so important that we are, we're able to see ourselves. And when there are people in the world who like yourself, who are able and willing and actually creating stories like that and offering them to the world, to the gatekeepers, the publishers, I guess that would be in this case, saying, hi, let's give this to the world for them to have. And it's publishers who ultimately get the say on whether yes or no. Yeah, publishers will acquire, but then then you find yourself in front of other gates and that's libraries and bookstores and schools, you know? Oh, because everything's just on a case-by-case basis. Because, I mean, the publishers decided to publish it and now it's like, okay, but they can't force the book into every library and bookstore. Like, it's meetings with sales reps to decide like is my market going to be interested in this book and fine we'll take maybe we'll take one we'll take two versus we'll take 20 or we'll take a hundred of this like known bestseller or something you know so let me ask you that i mean i there are so many questions yeah um i mean i'm assuming then naturally that just 
by design makes it more difficult for uh, any diverse writer to be able to get their materials out to the world. Is that on a basic level? Yeah, is that right? because you find, and this is, I want to say it's hasn't been the case as much in the past few years, but also I don't have as many relationships with like younger writers these days, just between the pandemic and me kind of like withdrawing from social media a bit. But sure. I, you know, it seems like for the longest you were finding publishers saying like, oh, we've already got our book by a black author this season, or we've already got like a our Chinese fantasy book. I hate that. It's fucking disgusting. Yeah. I mean, it's literally disgusting that they expect that one book to speak to an entire community. Like I am probably right now, and this is like not even, it's like, it's not a brag thing. It's just a fact. Like I'm probably the most profitable queer Latino publishing young adult novels, like in this space right now. And there are other gay Puerto Ricans from the South Bronx like me who have read my books and do not connect. And I was like, cause it's not, supposed to automatically connect to you right that doesn't mean anything that just mean we all that means is that we are gay puerto ricans in the south bronx those could be the only fucking things we have in common and also it's like unfair to put that pressure on me to be the like the queer latino like on your roster like go tap into some others also how do you see my book selling and then not think that there's like more of an audience out there like i shouldn't be the only one doing this i'm not the only one doing this but for a while like i was like the only queer puerto rican publishing about queer puerto ricans and and that was like just an actual fact (laughs) like in the ya space at least like i can't speak to um other categories but really i was constantly like is there like a story about like gay puerto rican guys that i'm missing out on or whatever and you know there's um queer woman gabby rivera she was also fighting that fight as well. Um, just like from like the queer woman space. And and yeah, it's just like, it should not be easy to like name the queer Puerto Rican authors on one hand. Oof, but it is. Yeah, in the YA space. I'm going to keep YA stressing space. that. From what you know and understand, how diverse is the publishing world itself the people who are in publishing making those decisions giving the yeses and the noes the editors and the publishers um are overwhelmingly white and you know a lot of the i've worked with four editors in my um career all white all all white editors who have been incredible in their own rights um only one being a queer man Uh, um but fair to say that they have the experience of what their identity is predominantly, which is being white. There aren't any, in terms of race, Yeah, you don't really see many other perspectives or experiences of life being represented. No, like a lot of your favorite bestsellers that are written by marginalized writers about marginalized characters, chances are, Edited by a white person. Ooh, wait. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, and and but because here's the thing, because publishing was so fucking slow with recognizing the need for authenticity in marginalized stories, we don't have a ton of people of color or just let's just say marginalized again because from queer people and yeah. um 
marginalized people high up in those ladders necessarily in the same way right. because we haven't nurtured them. Uh, so, and then also there's right. the fact that we do have people who were climbing up and got exhausted because they were working with white editors or white colleagues, not even just editors, white colleagues who did not understand the traumas and stresses that they were bringing into their work right. um, or being seen as difficult because they were speaking up about something. And then all of a sudden you're like the, Oh, you're the loud black woman and you're the problematic black woman. And, and like I have friends who literally have left the industry because they got burnt out and they were rising stars and they, no. they quit. And now like literally to go find something else because it ruined their love for reading. They felt so disrespected within the industry. So it's going to be really hard for us to have um, marginalized editors with buying power to compete against like all these like other houses and everything, let's say in auctions uh, because they're still climbing the ladder right now. And yes, there are some marginalized people who are at a publisher level. Absolutely. Like they exist. They would also be the first to tell you that publishing is like overwhelmingly white right. and that they saw a lot of bullshit to get to where they are today. Oh, uh, I mean, just connecting the dots out loud in my mind, that seems really scary because, I mean, we're talking about just writers, just the people themselves who are able to make these stories having the tools to just create but even if you get all of that aligned and create something still it feels like the real power is with the people who get to decide if the world sees that or not. of course like you said you can self-publish but in terms of things having a really but self-publishing impact, doesn't guarantee that your book is going to be in barnes and noble or okay, that it's going to yeah or or any bookstore and that's just barnes and noble which is like the last major chain that we have currently in the states right but then you would literally have to be pitching yourself to every independent bookstore across the country. Yeah. Um, then also you're seeing, and they get people trying to send their self-published books and stock sure. them all the time. Right. So you just, you until you have 50 shades of gray success, um, they're not probably going to stock you unless you're like a local author who like has a connection or something. Right. right? Um, so that's another barrier. And then you are losing out on sub rights, which include international translations as well as film TV um, options because you don't have like, you're not seen as like a serious book because you're self-published. So unless you have like a phenomenal amount of sales, no one is going to like take you seriously. So even just like telling people to self-publish or whatever, like unless like they're willing to take on all that work, which includes publicizing, marketing, cover design, formatting editing themselves or hiring an outside editor or whatever like that's an unfair expectation when you compare that with a traditional publishing schedule where if my book gets acquired it normally will come out like between 18 months to two years because we have to go through the editorial process which takes a few months then we have to go through the marketing process um where we are collaborating with like publicity and marketing um you know for months because we believe it takes months to market a book um and then distribution which is like getting the books like um printed uh and like and into bookstores like those are daunting tasks i have never worked deep in a publisher that way so i will never fully understand what it takes to get my book from my laptop to inside a bookstore and i have no interest in learning that so the expectation that we should 
just kind of encourage people to self-publish or whatever. Like it sucks because it's, it's forcing even more work on them that they shouldn't be resigned to just because someone has like blocked them from an opportunity. How much of a choice do you have? Like, for example, if it would be important for you to have a queer editor, do you get to choose that? Do you get to decide? Is there a choice that to it, select from? So I was previously working with a queer editor um, named Andrew, and he was my favorite editor I've worked with. Like, mm. he was like my soulmate editor in a lot of ways. Like, um, he left the industry at the beginning of the year to pursue um, a new profession, and uh, and. He, one that he's like really proud of and I'm very excited for him. And, um, and yeah, and he was like so talented. Like I really was like, Oh, I'm, this is like the person I'm going to do all my books with. And then I had to be, you know, reassigned to a different editor because I had active contracts. And when I spoke with the editorial director and the publisher, I was like, I'd love to work with like a queer person, but there were no queer people on the team anymore (laughs) that I knew of at least like none that were like, open um and to my knowledge and you know and i'm just like because that's important to me like i understand now the importance of like working with a queer editor and how that has heightened my work you know because when i'm working with a straight editor no one can challenge my perspective and because what you're gonna tell me how to be gay right (laughs) like i'm not taking that shit from you so like and it's so i mean versus like if i have a queer editor telling me something it gives me food for thought and now I don't have that. Because, you know, it's coming from a relevant perspective. Yeah. That's connected to It's coming from somebody who fully understands it and has lived in those experiences. And it's not to say that these editors, editors, I think by nature, much like writers, are deeply empathetic and is why they're able to edit so many stories across the board and from identities and backgrounds that they don't come from. Um, and, you know, they're fantastic people. But these are also the same editors that, like, if you look at their personal circles, they're going to include queer people. Right. And which I think is like really important for writers as well. It's like, if you don't have trans people in your circle, like in your close circles, like someone I would say that you call on their birthday. Right. Do not fucking write about them. Like you do not know their lives. Like actually just like gently back the fuck up. And as well-intentioned you may be, because I think that you're probably more at risk of writing something that is just misleading about the trans community and you can apply this to x community there are editors who can do that you know um and there are some writers who can absolutely tap into that as well i'm not doubting that but like i think the writers and editors who succeed the most at that have those people in their circles and are familiar enough with those lives and and yeah so i mean i just i absolutely ask for a queer editor i don't have one currently at the moment um but i do have an incredible editor who i'm just beginning to work with and she's fantastic uh but yeah but it it still is like a bit of a blow where i'm like you know it sucks like i feel like now i have to do even more of carrying the weight myself of making sure that the queerness is at the best it could possibly be (laughs) And also think about how many people have just been burned in the past by working with, you know, a white straight editor or something and been like, oh, I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel, you know, I I felt like they were trying to get me to write my book for a white audience. Right. And maybe despite their best effort, I'm sure I can understand how someone might think that focusing on that. In the with the only tools that they have is the best thing that they can do in service. I'm sure that that is a reality at yeah. least some of the time. But the actual reality is like if 
if it's not connected to you and to the story that you're telling, if it's not fulfilling the vision and the purpose, it doesn't really matter what you think about it or how yeah. it might do. It's not about that. Like I would imagine just as a consumer, cause I don't, I'm not an author, but well, <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not published, but it's always about the authenticity, the impact, the realness, the integrity of the story over if it's going to sell a hundred thousand more or less copies. Yeah. Like the, if personally I would just feel like on the surface of it, I'd rather sell 5,000 copies of a book that's real and deep and means something and is connected to reality that's authentic than sell 1 million of something that's just not, I know is not that and not true as much as I'm sure there are things to enjoy about that. For sure. The pub, what's the pub? You could do that a hundred times over and it would all be as meaningless as the next thing. A hundred percent. And I think about that all the time, you know, like my book, they both die at the end, which is like my most successful book. And it's also my favorite book of mine, but it was a book that I had originally considered writing about straight people because it was such a commercial idea. I was leaving um, a smaller publisher who published my first two novels um, who were the only people who took a chance on my novels that were about a gay Puerto Rican. And, and I, you know, was just like, okay, how do I become a mainstream writer? How do I become a name? And I considered genuinely writing about, you know, a boy and a girl love story. And specifically like, not just like a queer boy and a girl either, like both straight. And I'm so happy it didn't work out that way because had that book published and it, were as successful as it is today while the rest of my work is successful but not this i'd be like wow people only gave a shit because i wrote straight characters and that would have been horrible for my psyche like i would have the the self-hatred and resentment i probably would have like exhibited toward my queerness instead of pride of Knowing that, like, not just a book about queer boys, but a book about like queer Latinos is like outselling fucking Hunger Games and Twilight this year. It's like, you know, these white stories that I, you know, I, I'm a big Hunger Games fan. Mm. Like, I, and I'm a big fan of the Twilight movies. I think they're really fun. You know, I have a Hunger Games tattoo, but like, they're white stories um, right. and written by white people. Right. And who is that inspiring today? Right. Like, white people don't need inspiration to realize that they can tell their stories. Right. Cause the, you're doing it already. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like no one I've had, there are a handful of published authors today who have published their books after mine who didn't, who did so because they read my book and they were like, wait, we can write about queer people of color. And now they're authors. And now, one author, Julian Winters, he's incredible. He writes really like swoony rom-coms. Um, he is a gay black writer. Mm. And I was like, great. Now there are going to be so many up and coming gay black writers who are going to see Julian's work. Right. Um, and this is the domino effect that like I am proud to be part of. A huge part of. You know, and then Julian's going to inspire a another queer black writer. Maybe there'll be a cis man as well. Maybe they won't. And then whatever their business may be, they're going to inspire someone else of that nature as well. And this is how it goes. When I talk about like white people not needing that inspiration, like unless it's something of like maybe mental health or, you know, um, 
disability or something, right. or maybe even faith, right? right. Something specific. A yeah. Specific, I'm not trying to be offensive or anything, but no. just the reality is for the most part, like you said, there's really not that much to be gained past just pure indulgence of entertainment Yeah, of telling just a story about white cis people doing things. Right. Uh, I'm not saying it can't be compelling, moving. It can't be an incredible story. And as I said earlier, there are many stories of that variety that I love written by people who I love and I will continue to read those stories and support them. But what is the social impact that it's able to have? Yeah. What is, what is it actually moving forward? What's the message? Yeah. And I, you know, I know from experience and please, um, feel free to disagree with me, um, which you always are yeah, free to do like, and do. <laughs> we do a lot. Um, <laughs> but I would say more than a lot of places, especially in books, something that makes, for example, a character black isn't writing, describing their skin color. Oh, he has brown skin. And... Oh, duh, you fulfilled a character. Right. Different. No, it's like you don't even have to necessarily describe the skin color or give a, give name a color what makes them their identity, their racial identity for one thing is all of the authentic understanding of the nuances of what that experience of life can be like. And there are so many different versions of it too. Yeah, There's not a, one stereotypical way, but to understand what it's like, and especially, again, I will plug you any day of the week, but the way that you tell the stories of your characters and it so much is about their inner emotions and them even yearning to understand themselves more and more as we do with them as the reader. You can't do that by just guesswork. No. I'm I'm sure you could throw something together that feels compelling to you or to some people, but if it's not attached to something real, if there isn't an authentic understanding of something there connected to the message that you're trying to inform, it's something that leads me to my next question. And feel free to talk about that too if you want. It's specific, it feels, for writers that, you do, you are responsible for the voices and representation of obviously more than just one character. Yeah. It's not like the same debate where we talk about how appropriate is it for this actor to play this character? It's one-on-one. You can do simple comparisons and, you know, debate that. But when you're a writer, unless you're writing a story that only involves one person, (laughs) you have to represent more than one. Yeah. So I guess I'd say, let's put it this way, devil's advocate. If I'm a, you know, straight, white, cis writer and I want to write a book, a story that is very, quote unquote, diverse and inclusive. Right. One, is it appropriate to do that? And if I only have my one white, cis, straight experience to write from. And two, if it is, how do you do that with integrity? Yeah, what, I mean, what are your thoughts? That's a great question, and there's no clean answer just across the board. But I would just recall what I spoke to earlier: were like, okay, the people who you are writing about are they in your life? Like, I can write, you know, I feel confident writing a story about a mixed race black gay best friend because I have you in my life, and we have been through a lot of shit together. We have cried together. We have been there for each other at some of our lowest points, you know, in just the time that we've known each other. Like, I know you and you know me, you know? So I feel confident writing from my perspective what it's like to be a person who happens to have 
a best friend of your identity. Right. And I've only ever written about people who are like in my circles, you know, and like and in deep, meaningful ways. Like in my first novel, literally so much of it is like based on like the people who I grew up with and my best friend growing up was black. And like I was like the whitest kid on my block, too, which I'm so grateful for because I'm not I didn't grow up with a lot of dumb fucking mentalities that like, you know, some of it is prejudice like forced upon like um, teenagers and some of it is just like regional or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But I would say that if you are looking around your circles and you're if you're posting like your birthday party and there's 20 people in that picture and they're all white. You're don't be writing about any black people. You're probably like not the person to like write about like the black best friend unless the black best friend was fucking busy, you know, and like couldn't make it to your birthday. Like it, it just you totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean like, cause what are you going to say that is meaningful and deep and, representative of the community that you're not just like gleaning from the shit you see on tv which we know is not authentic to what black lives are often like right and and again across the board insert your identity here like you can use that same sentence and absolutely and i appreciate the intention for sure but then i'm like okay cool the next best step is going to be reading a dozen novels by a black author about black characters and that way you see that oh okay they're not a monolith and like read from a black woman read from a black trans woman read from a black man like and just you know diversify within that community that's the only way you're going to arm yourself with enough knowledge to confidently create a character. Same way that, you know, I was writing um, a character from uh, the UK in my fantasy novel. And I was like checking in with Elliot like a few times, like, would I, would this character say this? And you were like, uh, yeah, if he were like a cartoon version of, <laughs> um, you know, a Brit. Yeah. Right. And it was just like, cool. Like, I want to know that because like, I'm also picking up on what have I watched? Uh, I don't know, fucking Austin Powers, like, <laughs> and, and Downton Abbey, and yeah, that's everyone's oh, idea. I could not with Downton Abbey. <laughs> I like, I just <laughs> sorry, I don't, I don't know the patience for shit like that. But, uh, but whatever the equivalence of Downton Abbey is that I've, I've watched Harry Potter, right, and like right. read Harry Potter, and I'm like, but that doesn't make me a fucking like wordsmith yeah. on what it means to be a lived person in, in the uk like i remember you asking me like where is he what region is he from in the uk and i'm just like i don't know i'm like oh Regions. i should figure that out <laughs> right like you're like because that's going to impact you're like okay why is he coming off so scholarly i'm like oh because his parents are scholars you're like okay cool but well, that like provided some um information on like why that is instead of just me wanting to make him sound like the preppy uk guy right. and and yeah so like these are the things that like we should be digging deep in and i think if your work is just surface level even for your secondary characters you're you're doing your story to service and you're doing your readers to the service as a person of your identity do you find it harder or easier to get the stories that you write out to readers in the way that you want them to be told only because i'm successful easier this so it's easier right. yeah but when i was submitting my first novel to publishers 
everyone said no. Wait, and weren't you given notes where they said, what if they were? Yeah, what not- if he was straight? What if he was white? People yeah. didn't understand. Intersection wasn't in anybody's like vocabulary back in 2014. So they were like gay and Puerto Rican. Like they just didn't understand it. I'm like, it's really not that hard. Like what's not clicking here for you? Uh, so yeah, there's, there was shit like that. And so that's what I faced like, you know, when I was like stepping through the doors of publishing, but then a lot of dope shit happened. I got incredible reviews for my first novel, one that came from the New York Times as well, that literally called it mandatory reading in a 100% glowing review. Everyone who was like reviewing it from like proper, um, you know, respected channels, everyone gave it high praise. And I was able to turn that um, into like building my platform and giving me a lot more like credibility as well like oh shit you did this thing that we kind of told you that you weren't supposed to do and this book that we all rejected as well and now all of a sudden people were trying to reinvest in me you know because i like defied their odds and Mm. i like wrote my shit like authentically like i wrote about being a gay puerto rican in the south bronx with a challenge socioeconomic status which is all reflective of like my my childhood when it comes to how stories are valued and again publishing is a business yep i know you've spoken to the sentiment in the past of just on a like for like basis yeah stories that are diverse aren't given as much value and aren't paid as much as non-diverse stories is that yeah i mean it's well publishing is like weird in general it's been funny talking about this with you over the years because Hollywood and publishing have like different pay structures, right? Publishing will pay a debut author a million dollars. Wow. No one has ever heard of them before. No one even knows if they have no track record to suggest that they will be able to earn out that advance, right? No one is paying a first-time actor a million dollars to star in something, right? And even if... Even their established actors, they're not paying a million dollars sometimes, right? Like it's so weird, and that's a whole other conversation. But like, so publishing is really weird, and you see the discrepancies between what white authors get paid versus non-white authors, and what straight authors get paid versus queer authors. And you know, then you have people like me writing about like gay Puerto Ricans, and it's just like <laughs> no chance. Oh shit! Like free book. Take your quarter and shut the fuck up. And it's like, and I took my quarter and I shut the fuck up. Ugh. You know, and who decides that? By the way, who who decides the pay amount? The publisher decides. Um, but wow. it, so it depends on um, you know, different factors here. So like my first publisher, my first publisher, Soho Teen. They're a smaller publisher. Uh, traditional still, but smaller. So they don't have quite as many resources at their disposal and like different, like bigger publishers or whatever. Like there's, you know, all these acquisition meetings and everything. And they are calculating what they think they're going to be able to earn back on the book. So if they think like, okay, um, let's, I think we'll make $25,000 back on this book. Uh, so let's offer in advance of like 25000 And if it becomes a competitive situation, maybe they'll offer forty five or something. And, you know, those are like more like mid-range kind of like typical advances for a lot of authors. Unfortunately, uh, writers can be really fucking underpaid. 
and for how much like work goes into it oh, as well. Yeah. It takes your life over. Yeah. From I, what I understand. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you've seen me like pulling my hair out. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm actually getting paid better these days and I'm still pulling my fucking hair out. And but you know, like I, I got to a point where I decided that I was going to be paid at the same level that white straight authors are paid. I was like, I don't care. If they wrote the exact same story. Yeah. I was like, I like I found out at some point, you know, like I was a bestseller uh, already when I found out that authors who weren't even earning back their advances were getting paid either at my level or more than me. And I'm like, so why am I being undervalued? Is it because you think there's a smaller market for like queer readers? And I was like, fuck that. So like moving forward, I was like, no, I'm like, here's my number and like meet me at my number. And I would not budge. Like I do not accept the mentality of, well, we're not quite sure that your books about like, you know, queer boys of color are going to have the same reach as stories about like straight white people. I'm like, that's your job. Literally. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Yeah. going to say you are the ones who determine how valuable this story is. Yeah. It's any story is valuable to the writer writing it. Of course it yeah. is. Um, immeasurably so I'm sure. But when you're the ones putting a price tag on what this story is worth, you are determining how valuable you're going to make it to people. Yeah. And I've seen publishers thrown a shit ton of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars at books that they do not market. Like they don't send that author on tour. They don't, you know, put in an ad in Entertainment Weekly. They do like the bare minimum. And then those authors don't earn back those advances. Their reputations are fucked because they were trusted with big money before and weren't proven profitable. So then they find themselves with significantly smaller advances. Like I know of a trilogy that sold for like almost a million dollars like a few years back. Never earned out and probably never will. Uh, I think the books are out of print now therefore making it impossible for that book to ever earn out and for that author to ever collect royalties on it that next that author's next royalties were like ten thousand dollars maybe 15 and that sucks like i'm not saying that the publisher intentionally sabotaged that author but when you throw that much money toward a title you place an expectation upon it you getting paid well is not just about adam silvera being paid well for doing a job it's about important stories for underrepresented identities, communities that matter being valued on a level closer to where they should be by a space of people that don't get it often. It sounds like to try and package all of that up, unsurprisingly and upsettingly still, publishing in general is a predominantly white structure, for one thing. Yes. Where a predominantly white body of people decide to value predominantly white stories by predominantly white authors for a predominantly white audience above other things. Yep. Because that's where they see the most profit. In a nutshell. Great. Thanks for listening. Yep. <laughs> yeah. If anyone needs like the cliff notes of that. There you go. Episode, that, that, like, there's the whole that, podcast that episode. Quick little soundbite. 10 seconds. Yeah. And it's upsetting, but it's true. And yeah. pretending that it isn't doesn't move anything forward. When we're talking about identities such as your own or my own, anything labeled diverse, 
you've already spoken to how much more weight there is that you have to carry to support your craft yeah. that other people don't have to. That this is another privilege. Another privilege. Yeah. That must be such a challenge to balance good mental health and awareness with all of the additional weight on your plate from just being a quote unquote diverse author right. trying to succeed yeah, in a space no. that is you're often shut out from in some ways. I mean, I literally almost killed myself in the year my first novel came out while working on my second book. Like, I mean, I literally had to call a suicide hotline for the first time in my life. And I was 25 years old and it was so extraordinarily difficult and my life just changed like significantly. I went from being a person who like barely flew because of like some flying trauma um, from my childhood to someone who was on a plane every day, every other day, every weekend, like um, for months and just missing my friends and um, and constantly calling my friends and my mom before every flight just in case something happened, you know, like and that fucked with my head in so many ways. I um, felt like my book was successful, but not successful enough. And the pressure of like wanting to be that like golden child, instant phenomenal bestseller didn't come true and everything. And then, you know, being told that I was primed to like win an award and then not even be nominated for it or even long listed for it. Like all these expectations absolutely, um, you know, invaded my mental space that I didn't have in all my years of writing before them and writing since I was 11 and never had I experienced pressure like that until, you know, then. And, and now like anytime I put out a book, I'm like, shit, it's gotta be successful because if it's not, then publishers are going to use me as an excuse for why queer boys of color aren't selling. They're like, well, if Adam Silvera couldn't even do it, then um, what makes us think that like someone else is going to be able to come through now? And like, that's not a fair pressure to take on. And no one is, has directly said that, but that feeling is there. Like I see the way much like I was saying, like, go see Black Panther, go see Crazy Asians, the way that people do sometimes have to rally around me, even if they're not fucking excited about me, because if I can't be a bestseller when I'm already on the bestseller track, then there's going to be a lot harder to make the case for them to tell their publisher, like, hey, look, these stories are selling if you just invest, you know? So that, that stuff's been not great. Do you think there's room for the publishing industry to offer more understanding and support for writers and for their mental health and the burdens and if so should they absolutely and i mean I, I called my editor this week to let her know like hey you're not getting a book next month and here's why and i laid out all the professional reasons like all the different things that they put on my plate but also all my like personal mental health reasons i mean i literally told my editor this week i was like i have so much respect for our business we're also not doing heart surgery if my book is late, that is not me showing up late to heart surgery. Right. Uh, no one is going to die. Literally, no one's going to die. The lights at the publishing house are not going to get turned off because I didn't turn in a book. Like, I am I am so sorry. I'm a human first. And I literally told her, I was like, look, I 
I also just refuse to work night and day yeah. anymore. And I, I did that for years and it's what got me to this place. And if I'm not using this success to now redirect it to better mental health success, then I'm just a minion. Um, and I'm like not seen as human. I'm just seen as like a machine. And I was like, I'm not, a, I'm not a robot. I want a, a healthier life, like moving forward. I need peace. And, you know, I, I remember my mom saying that uh, to me years ago. She just said, I need peace, you know, and that's why she will sometimes let some things slide and why she just tries to move forward. And I like really admired her when she's actually, I don't think I appreciate it when she said it. I think I've come to have like a later admiration for that expression and, and just like, nah, like I'm, I'm going to like pursue peace in, in my life because I, I have some control over that. And that includes expressing to my publisher, I'm human. And I will not have a book because I refuse to work that hard anymore. I would highly encourage publishers to invest in talent that maybe has not been through the same nurturing that a lot of straight white people have been through because they weren't permitted access in their college years or in their high schools or whatever the thing may be or in their previous jobs that denied them opportunities to show that they could succeed if nurtured um, and be very kind of forgiving of the fact that maybe their resume isn't quite as booming as someone else's or flashy. But is this person going to bring a unique perspective that is currently not represented on our team? That is the kind of talent you should be looking for. You know, not hiring the same person over and over. That is not going to move your needle forward in any impactful way. That is not going to broaden anyone's worldview. I am so grateful to everyone who took a chance on me, even though I didn't go to college. And finally, what would your words be? What would your message be to current and future diverse labeled or misunderstood writers? to as long as you can, um, as long as it makes financial sense to you. I understand people have bills to pay and I certainly had some privileges myself that allowed me to gamble on writing about myself as a gay Puerto Rican. I hope that you don't have careers where you are forced to write about straight white people or whatever the thing is um, just so that you can get your foot through the door. Um, I hope that you are just able to tell your authentic stories and the stories that intrigue you and drive you the most that will find you success to at least get your foot in that door um, and that someone will be convinced that they should invest in your vision as well because I truly believe that you have a story that has not been fucking told yet. And there are, I mean, I look at so many of the best-selling stories of today that could look so much different from a marginalized writer's perspective. I always, the example I always use is like, if I wrote The Hunger Games, it wouldn't be about Katniss. It would be about a boy in District 12 maybe. And, you know, the love he feels for either another boy in the games or the boy back home or something. That already is to me, an infinitely more interesting story um, and a unique story. And yet it's a very similar concept, right? But by inserting my identity into it, I can take it in a fresh direction. And I um, encourage you all to do the same. 
and you have reached the end of another open up. What an incredible conversation. I know that was a big one, but hopefully you can understand why. Adam and I naturally talked for a lot longer than everything you just heard, but everything in there feels like gold to me, and I hope that it does to you. From companies shutting out queer identity ideas that queer and diverse stories don't get the same kind of support or backing because they automatically aren't expected to be profitable enough to make them worthwhile. The policing of diverse books for different reasons, political, religious, whatever they might be, but the fact that there are people in this world who need these stories. Storytelling is so important and so powerful and should be universally accessible, at least in my opinion. And why should there be people who don't have access to those kinds of stories? Like we said in the podcast, in some cases, life-saving materials, which Adam can relate to, just because other people don't like the idea of them a lot of the time, maybe without even picking them up and reading them for themselves. According to Adam, there's a need for more diverse editors and publishers to support the diverse authors that do exist and are so talented and have stories to tell. And the real and the lasting potential impacts that all of that can have on the life and the health of people who already as diverse artists do not have the same level of support or understanding around them that others do support diverse talents simply because they do need it the most. What was the last story that you read about an identity that's different from you? Maybe there's something there that you could learn. Maybe that would open your heart and your mind more than it already is. Maybe there's something to be gained in investing in the lives, stories, and experiences of people different than ourselves. A huge thank you to Adam Silvera for that amazing episode and that incredible open up. I hope you found it as valuable as I did. You can follow Adam and should read, in my opinion, all of his books. He is at Adam Silvera on the gram and on TikTok. Also, to check out We Need Diverse Books, the organization that Adam mentioned earlier in the podcast, go to diversebooks.org and we'll put the link in the description for you so you can find it. And thank you, of course, to our wonderful Open Up family of diverse artists who helped bring the podcast to you and this episode today. Our art is by Alec Liu. Our theme music is from Adsum. Our additional music is from Jay Apple. I have been Elliot, your host and mixer and editor. And of course, thank you to producer Gemma at Studio Hendrix. You're all wonderful. So glad that we have your talents making all of this happen so that you can all enjoy. Thank you guys so much for listening to this one again. We would love to hear your thoughts. Remember that we are at The Open Up Pod on the gram and TikTok. And you can also email us at hello at theopenuppodcast.com. It really is about the conversations that we can spark and be a part of. And we hope to be having more with you. And remember, you can help us spread the word by opening up about what you heard. And if you want to keep this show alive, fill the stars to number five. And don't forget to leave a review because we would love to hear from you. Some of you have already been doing that and we have noticed and we thank you and we love you so much for doing so. Please come and join the family. If you enjoyed this episode, if you want to hear more, it's the best thing you could do for us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Elliot Knight. That was Adam Silvera and we will see you next time for another Open Up.
I mean, there were many. Oh, a dog writes a movie called Bark, Bark, Bark. <laughs> or, it's not funny. You're so stupid. Writes a memoir. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like... <laughs> Wait, was it memoir? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> Okay, wait. Wow. <laughs>